Hey everyone, welcome to the Fully Occupied Podcast, the show that tackles the biggest problems facing the commercial real estate industry today. If you're looking to hear from the brightest minds in commercial real estate, tech, and the world of work, you've come to the right place. Let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Matt from Occupier here. Hope you're staying safe and sane in these uncertain times, these troubling times, these weird times. Today's episode is hopefully going to take your mind off of all that stuff and dive right into the future of commercial real estate brokerage. Uh, We're joined by a couple of epic guests. Uh, The first is Ryan Massiello. Ryan is the co-founder of VTS, PropTech Unicorn company that I personally worked at uh, alongside uh, several of our teammates here at Occupier, uh, getting it from a stage of uh, inception in in 2012 up to the point where now they're the de facto uh, command center for commercial real estate for, for owners and, and brokers, uh, which is awesome. Uh, we are also joined by James Scott. James is, James is a lead researcher uh, for MIT. Uh, the innovation lab that focuses on commercial real estate, the real estate world, essentially the entire built world. So he has a global perspective on the technologies that are really shaping the future of real estate. And him and Ryan have also very different perspectives on the future of brokerage. So uh, we're going to dive into some pretty awesome topics here. Ryan's going to share his perspective as a former broker uh, and somebody who's building a company that is uh, right in the middle of everything there. James is going to ask him some hard questions. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Gentlemen, thanks for joining the Fully Occupied podcast. Always a pleasure to speak with you both. Ryan, James, welcome. Thanks for having me. Morning. Thanks for having us. Uh, certainly our pleasure here. So um, topical discussion here today, given uh, COVID, people working from home, never seeing other people again for the foreseeable future. How is that going to impact the brokerage world, the commercial real estate market? All these things are just huge, massive questions that are open right now. And then, you know, obviously there's an underlying kind of uh, thread of, of technology behind all of this is, which is, you know, our collective focus, the three of us on this call. So um, let's dive into some uh, interesting topics around, around that. And before we do that, why don't we get a couple of quick introductions from the boys here. Um, Ryan Massiello, co-founder of VTS. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Thanks again for uh, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. All right, tell us tell us about yourself, buddy. Yeah, so um, I, I started my career in in brokerage. So uh, 2004, I started working for uh, Cushman and Wakefield. Spent about two years there, and um, yeah, after that, got a call from Peter Rigardi, who is the uh, president of the New York region at JLL. Um, who was sort of on a mission to build a big mission, big business at, at that point, uh, convinced me to come work with him and spent about seven years at, at JLL working directly with him. Um, and, you know, after a, a fairly long career in, in, in brokerage, um, you know, I just realized that there was way too many problems with the way not only brokerage work, but really the, the entire industry. So decided to start BTS with uh, my best friend, Nick Romito at the time. And, uh, well, he's still my best friend, but, uh, that was t- 2012, we, we, we launched the company and, um, you know, really it's been, uh, a pretty unbelievable journey. We, we started off with this, you know, idea that 
there was a real ability to build a modern operating system that would pull in the landlord, the broker, uh, the tenant rep broker, the occupier, uh, to really change the way that everyone interacted, really manage their process and information. Um, and today we have about 12 billion square feet that's managed on our platform across you know, the top owners and brokers in the world. And um, you know, after you know, eight years of sort of building a really strong foundation uh, for all of those people to manage their process and information, we're now launching our two kind of big vision products, which are uh, our marketplace and our real-time uh, benchmarking products. So it's been a, an exciting couple of years. Awesome. And full disclosure, I did work with Ryan for about four and a half years at VTS, which was a pretty wild ride uh, personally and uh, super pumped to see you guys kind of taking the next steps in the journey. Those are the best four and a half years of my life, Matt. I, I was hoping you were going to say that. And I, and I also want to point out that I think you're, you're being modest with your um, description of your brokerage career because I, I do remember like one offsite sales meeting where um, I don't know if this has been corroborated by anybody else, but um, is it true that you were the youngest person in the history of JLL to reach $1 million in, in revenue? Uh, it, that, that is true. Okay, cool. It's corroborated. There we go. <laughs> uh, J- James, uh, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Uh, morning, Matt. Um, thanks so much for having us. Um, really looking forward to this. I, uh, I feel after that that I'm... Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm the new kid in in class with that, and I've just uh, sat down at the the cool kids table. Like, I mean, I don't have a career <laughs> or background in brokerage or or anything close to the success or fabulous of uh, of where VTS has uh, come from and where it's going to. Um, my position is I am a. I, I was a lawyer for many years. Um, back in a, in a in another career, and then found myself at MIT through kind of a, a career change. And I through my uh, master's at MIT, I became very friendly with a couple of real visionaries there, which were um, Dr. Andrea Shagu and uh, Professor Dennis Frenchman. And they started a, thing, a research platform there called the Real Estate Innovation Lab. And from that, I joined the team and I've become over the years the, the lead researcher at MIT's Real Estate Innovation Lab. And while in that, I also have a number of other different positions. I, um, I work as a technology consultant for, for IRAM. The, uh, the property management group across the US and also techn- technology consultant for the SIOR, um, where I produce a number of webinars um, and a series of webinars that, with them that can be looking at automation and technology and its effects on the, uh, the world of, of, of brokerage. Um, uh, my day-to-day is at the Real Estate Innovation Lab where we run a number of different uh, large-scale projects for our, um, with our partners and our, and our team there. Specifically one that you know, is kind of more relevant today is I, I look at all of the um, and lead it, uh, the project, which is called the, the Tech Tracker, which will go live in the next couple of months, which looks at all of the new technologies affecting the, uh, the built environment um, for us over the next three to five years. So that's kind of where I am and my background. Cool. So we got the, the, we got the insider in the tech world, Ryan. We got the uh, outside observer in James and two very distinct kind of perspectives on this whole thing. Um, so let's, let's dive into kind of a, a big question right now that's prevalent throughout the commercial real estate space. And, and, and that is like, what is the future of commercial brokerage? Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off. Um, you know, for, from my perspective, I, I think I'm just a big believer that long-term, you know, the broker will, will prevail. Um, although the way that brokers operate, and, and how I think the commercial brokerage firms look will be much different. 
Um, and so if you think about it today, there's sort of an 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the brokers um, make 80% of the money. And I, I still believe that kind of going forward, you know, that there will be a similar, um, you know, that, that, that balance will remain, you know, pretty consistent. But the number of overall brokers in, in the industry, I think, will be cut down dramatically because um, of the efficiency that firms that ex execute the right way in implementing technology um, will be able to, to support the process. And so just to bring some of that to life, you know, there's, we're living in a world in, in, you know, 2020, where there's still floors full of junior brokers that are spending weeks and weeks putting together in some cases, you know, one survey of availabilities in, in the market, which is absolutely crazy. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, their, their customer thinks they hit a button and that just gets produced just because of how kind of rudimentary the, uh, you know, a tour book is, for, for example. Um, and so I just think from the, the beginning of the process, um, from how they canvass and cold call to, to, to uh, pitch and win new business, to, to the process all the way through to surveying the market and closing a deal, you know, every single step of that process is ripe for evolution. And, and I do think that there's lots of companies, um, both brokerage firms and technology companies that, that are working hard to change the full spectrum. Um, and that COVID will be the biggest forcing function for a lot of that to become reality. So, yeah, like, I mean, e even the way that these brokerage firms like source their young talent needs to be disrupted too, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's my experience that, you know, if you, if you have a connected family in any given city, like your likelihood of being able to land one of those jobs is, is probably higher than most, but like, that might not be the best set of qualifications for like a junior broker to come into like a say JLL in Manhattan, where it's just like, you really need to understand like every data point in that market to like compete. So like, how do companies better identify the talent, train the talent, get them the tools that they need in order to like really get at after that 80% of the revenue? Is it, is it a training problem? Is it a technology problem? Is it a little bit of everything? I, I personally think it's everything. I, I think that um, the entire sales and marketing model for the commercial brokerage firms has to change. So again, at the end of the day, it will always be about um, the relationship. But you know, there's lots of people that have great relationships and they're fully capable of doing sort of a, a great job managing that relationship and it'll all be how it's actually backed up with um, the process and the technology. And so if you think about what that means for a new broker coming in, you know, today it's sink or swim. I, you know, I don't care, you know, which firm you are, if you think you've got a great training program, it's not near where it needs to be. Or if you look at how a world-class technology company thinks about um, really cultivating its talent, finding its talent, cultivating its talent, and making sure that they're successful. I mean, there's just a world of difference. And so I think it all starts with, um, you know, the development of a radically new sales and marketing model for the brokerage firms themselves, and then how they actually attract and retain talent within, within that model. It's going to look dramatically different um, from the way they pay those people in, in year one uh, to the support they give them to, to ultimately make sure that they stay there and, and have real success. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I might just jump in if it's okay. Um, I just wanted to kind of go back a little bit to your, your first question on that one. And, you know, from my first moment in real estate, I mean, all I've heard, especially when it comes to technology, has been the end of the broker is nigh. And there's been so many, you know, people across the industry that have 
either try to facilitate or make, make that happen because they want it to happen or they want to disrupt the, 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 the brokerage element within, within, the, uh, within, let's say, the, the cycle of, of, of a real estate transaction. But, you know, from our work that we've seen, certainly at, at MIT, and we've done an awful lot of work with this in relation to the, the future of work, you know, beginning going back, and I, I don't want to get too academic on this, but going back to the, the, there was a very famous piece that was done back in 2013 by Frey and Osborne. It looked at all of the different um, positions around the world, like, I mean, our positions that were going to be affected by automation. Um, brokerage was right up there as being one of the number ones. It was like a 97% chance that this is a job that wasn't going to exist in 10 years time. From the work that we've done, like I mean, based on this, this is this is not the case in any way. I mean, the brokerage is still a fundamental networking and relationship-based uh, transaction, kind of um, uh, human-to-human contact transaction. And from that, pe- pe- people need that. So no matter what, what automation comes through or what facility facilitates the, the brokerage community, people still want to have that moment in time with their broker where they they get told, you know what, you're making the right decision to purchase this house. You're making the right decision to take this, this office space. This is the place you, your company is going to thrive. Or this is where your family is going to succeed over the next 10 to 15 years. And that human element is something that a, people, a lot of people haven't really thought about as well. But it's so important for the, uh, for, for the brokerage uh, community. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, from our perspective at the company that we're building, it's, it's like we don't use the word disrupt. We use the word enable or facilitate because technology is kind of the underlying foundation that may makes brokers better right like it, the, if the relationship is kind of the atomic unit of like this whole business then that relationship needs to be nurtured and it needs to be given kind of the fuel so that it could grow right and if if the broker is not able to do that with like efficiency and with expertise then of course, they're, they're probably not doing their job right. And I think what we're saying here is that like the, the technology underlying all of it is going to be the medium going forward that, you know, will prove that the broker is there for the long term. Um, go, ahead. Just, go, go ahead. Completely. I mean, and just to kind of reiterate what, what, what Ryan was saying and, and like, I mean, to add to that a little bit. You know, all of the new technologies that we've seen within the brokerage community of, of late that have really made an impact, be it, you know, CRM systems, you know, lead generation facilities, data, data gatherers. You know, they, they, they're all fantastic tools to really help streamline a brokerage and make it work more efficiently and, and you know, for, for ultimately help a broker make more money, which is really what they're there to do. The real question for, for you know, that I think is a, is a huge component of all this, and it goes back into the talent attraction now as well, is it's that kind of 22 to 28-year-old uh, first, first couple of years on the, on the streets for a broker. If all of the technologies that are there to help streamline the situation, they're the jobs that those 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 younger brokers would have done as well, and made them kind of worthwhile to take on board. And you know, from that they would le- they would learn their trade. And this just isn't for brokers. This is the same for lawyers and you know young accountants as well. Automation is kind of you know it's taking over those those tasks for those younger those younger brokers. So you know, the question for 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 me and a lot of the kind of in all of this is while I don't believe the broker is going anywhere, and I think you know certain brokerages are going to get stronger and stronger. Is, how are the younger brokers going to be able to come into the market and, and gain that experience and gain that kind of that, the, those first few years to get their, their, their foot on the ladder, if that makes any sense? Yeah, complete sense. Yeah, um, Matt, Matt, I really, I really, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, and, you know, we've always had the philosophy that we just never use the word disrupt. It's all about partnering and, and evolution just because there doesn't need to be disruption. The only thing there needs to be disruption in is the pain in the current process that everyone has to endure. Um, 
and do you, you, know, do you not like Excel like, models? Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't, I actually don't mind Excel, but um, <laughs> when when uh, when the inefficiencies mount for how you get data into that Excel, and that's the real problem. Big time. Well, let's dig into those like workflows a little bit because I think that's kind of the part where people outside observers don't really understand this business. It's such an esoteric business to like when you're in it, but people just think like, oh, I look at an office building and yeah, pe- people work in that building. But the, the, the sheer amount of, of administrative burden that is put on a brokerage team to advise a client is, is really just massive. And I think that is where like all the opportunity lies for innovation in this space. It's not so much like, oh, we got to disrupt the broker because they get paid too much or, you know, they're like stockbrokers, right? Like, I mean, obviously that's a completely different a- asset or an investment vehicle, but like brokers get paid for the deals that they do, but they don't get paid for the deals that they work on that they don't do, which is all of that administrative work that gets put into that business. So like, what are, Ryan, what are some of the, think back that to the early days of ETS, like what were some of the challenges that you guys were trying to solve for like the workflow? The simple problem was, you know, you're sitting in a building waiting for a tour and you realize, you know, you forgot to bring floor plans because you didn't have a chance, you know, your last meeting ran late, you didn't have a chance to go back to the office and you got to go right to your next tour and you forgot something that's critical to do your job. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, why can't I just pull up my uh, floor plan on my phone or my iPad and kind of walk somebody through what's going on here? And it was just, there was an inability to do that um, at that point in time, right? And so then you go and you actually show somebody your building and then you got to go to another meeting and you realize, well, I have all this really great information about the feedback I just got about that about that tour, but I actually can't tell my team members or my owner what happened until I get back to my desk. Or I can't do that in a way where it's going to be it's going to be a really efficient process. So, you, so while you're running around all day, you basically can't do your job, right? And you and, and you're you have to be sat at your desk in order to get a lot of these critical tasks done. And it was like that that moment in time that day where I was just like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And um, that's literally when I started stringing together a process that was all linked through Dropbox on my iPad. Um, and I started thinking a lot about my own process as a broker. How do I become more efficient? How do I make sure that no matter what, what disruptions I have in, in my plan for my day, that I, that I can you know, stay on track and, and, and be efficient. But those were some of the simple ones. And then the more I thought about it, you know, the more I uncovered that really everything I was doing was, was broken. You know, then you, you you go into an agency meeting with an owner who starts asking you questions that you 100% should have have the answers to, but you don't because your Excel reports aren't connected in the way that that any uh, agent reports to an owner. It's here's what happens this week, and there's just really clunky formats that owners want data uh, to 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 uh, consume data in. So if somebody says, you know, how many tours did we have this week, and is it is is that um, good or bad versus what you're seeing, you know, like, how do we feel about the tour velocity we're seeing in this building, you know, versus the other buildings you guys represent? That's an anecdotal conversation. And that that shouldn't be an anecdotal conversation. That should be a very metrics driven conversation that you come out of quickly with a lot of confidence on whether or not you're you're outperforming or underperforming versus the market. Um, But, you know, a lot of it was rooted in the fact that very simple things weren't being done in, in efficient ways. Yeah, like, I mean, the fact that you actually have to have a sit-down meeting to go over that information is kind of a joke today. <laughs> like, 
I mean, using VTS now, your owner could just log in and understand everything that's going on in real time throughout their entire portfolio, drill down into one building and just get to the answer. And if they have a question, then that's when the phone call happens, right? That's, that's when you're the advisor, you're the expert, because like you're, you're off doing a million different things. And your goal as a broker is to get as many clients as possible. So it's just going to compound. And there's only one way to kind of ease the pain. And that's just putting everything in like a more efficient, transparent process. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to, to that point, Matt, I, one of my favorite moments um, in thinking about, you know, a customer telling a story around the value they're getting, getting out of the product was I was sitting in a, in a meeting in London and um, there was a, a JV partnership on the building. And I didn't even, I'd never met one of the other partners, a gentleman from LaSalle who walked into, into the meeting and said, this is the first time I'm walking into a leasing meeting in 30 years where I actually understand what's happened since the last one. And we can actually focus on the discussion on, on, on strategy, not like reading through everyone's bullshit for the last three weeks. And I was like, Oh my God, like that, that's the ultimate use case. Right. Um, because he would say, you know, and then we got, I was like, you know, he didn't know who I was. I don't know who he was. So we got into this conversation. I'm like, well, I can't tell you how much I, I, I I'm happy you said that. And here's who I am. And, um, you know, I, I'd love to spend more time understanding like, you know, what was so great about getting that information in real time. And, and, and again, the net net of it was, he, he literally said, you know, it, 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 this is an hour meeting. We always spend the first 30 minutes talking about stuff that we shouldn't be talking about. So, you know, you just gave me back. Now we can have a full hour where we're talking about strategy. And by the time, again, in the old model, you start a strategy conversation. But by the time you get momentum in that conversation, it's time to hop to your next meeting. Right. So right. think about the compounding effects as an owner, as a broker that has across your day and your week. Yeah, J James, I mean, neither Ryan or I um, have MIT degrees, so this might sound rather uh, rudimentary <laughs> and it, it, no, not at all. Problem, problem to solve for us. But like, how, how does that impact like the broader scope of, of, of innovation in commercial real estate? Obviously, just being one component of, 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 of the whole industry that needs to be um, well, improved. Well, if you just take the whole industry as a whole, like, I mean, you know, quite simply, we're still using Excel models. We're still using Argos models. Those were two products that were developed back in the 80s. The first versions came out in the, in, literally in the 1980s. And here we are, what, 30 odd years later, and we're still utilizing these same tools. So if there was ever an industry that was ripe for, we won't use the word disruption, but you know, certain, certain, certain maybe uh, pivoting and changing into something that's more efficient, I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely the, the, the real estate industry. But I'd, I'd love to ask Ryan this, just to get his view on this over the, you know, kind of a, a view into the future a little bit. And it's, a, it's quite a specific question on, on virtual viewing. And for me, virtual viewing has, you know, has, has really, you know, it's been around for a couple of years now, but it's, you know, COVID has really pushed it forward in, in, in a major way that, we've, you know, we see it so much more uh, across the board. But for me, as, as a human being, like I me, mean, just my own self, I'm not entirely sure I could ever purchase anything sight unseen. So, you know, I just don't think I could pull that, like I mean, certainly nothing to do with myself. Maybe, maybe if it was maybe an office space for a company, maybe, you know, where it's not my own money, but I still, my job would be on the line. So I, you know, I, I still don't think I could do that. But do you ever envisage a situation whereby the, where the technology gets to a point, be it through VR or AR or the, the, the products that are on the market at the minute would allow you to, purchase something side unseen so, so from, from my my perspective i mean we have seen companies plenty of companies mainly international companies who have um lease space sight unseen right so 
you know, they're coming to set up a new office. They don't have anybody on the ground yet. They want somebody to have a home when they land. And we have seen, you know, they might have a good relationship with a CV or a JLL in, in, um, in London. And uh, they, they, they have found a way to manage, you know, certainly smaller deals totally online. But I, I, I do think that that's the exception, not the norm. And it will continue to be the exception, not the norm. And really where all of this, this influx of digital content um, is really going to come into play and in our marketplace, for example, is um, one will 100% be digital, meaning that every building, every space will have um, a very high level uh, quality of, of digital content from uh, mainly with, with video. And the reality of it is, is that content's all there to make the process more, process more efficient, not to take the entire process out of the equation. And so what I mean by that is the days of going out on five tours and seeing five to seven buildings per tour to narrow down three buildings you think could be a fit for you, I believe are gone, right? And those five tours become uh, two tours, of in, uh, two in-person tours where you have a really honed in set of assets that could work well for you. Um, and you're going to cut weeks out of the process doing that, right? So there always is going to be this physical aspect. People need to see, touch, feel a building, a space, the views. Um, they need to understand the asset, the owner. And a lot of that is going to continue to happen in person. It's just the amount of time they're spent doing those things is, is going to be re reduced dramatically. Yeah, I, com I completely agree with you. But I just there's kind of a next evolution of that is that the tenant themselves are not find them they're becoming far more sophisticated. Um, as the, I mean, over the last few years, because of the technologies and the, the data that's now available to them, like I mean, before they even are talking to their own broker, like I mean, brokers now have to be as, you know, as up to date with their own data as they've ever have to been like I mean, with, uh, across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing. I, mean, I think the, where, where friction comes in in any process with that you're buying something, if you don't understand the market and, you know, the relative competitive price points and all that good stuff, like, that, that's where people get cold feet and start asking lots of questions and make negotiations harder than, than they need to be. And so I think that the, the new era of commercial real estate will, will certainly, you'll, you'll have occupiers that are way more sophisticated with way more access to information. But again, that, that's not going to diminish the broker's value. The broker's value is always going to be there to help them really bring all the pieces of the puzzle together. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to negotiate to sign a lease, the occupier that is better informed is going to get through that process a lot faster, right? And yep. so I just think it's going to benefit. It's going, and you see it in the residential market, right? And so my, my wife's a residential broker in New York. She's been one for 15 years. The way that she runs her process and um, interacts with her customers, even though it's still archaic well, relative to where it could be, it's light years ahead of commercial real estate. And those buyers have access to almost all of the information that she does. Yeah. And, and it doesn't make, it, all it does is make her process a lot easier because people are sitting there, they're glued to, to searching the, the, the market, looking at buildings, looking at spaces. They're always sending her things saying, hey, what about this? What about that? And she's saying, yep, here's why those things don't work for you. But they're absorbing so much information and context about buildings and spaces and, and pricing that when they find the one they want, it becomes a pretty easy decision. Oh, very right? much so. Um, pro property porn. Actually, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. It's become. <laughs> it's, one, it's, it's one. It's one of my favorite terms. Like I mean, because people really delve into this and they absolutely love it. That well, is, yeah, that's like, absolutely true. It, it's yeah. the HGTV effect, right? <clears throat> it's like imagine a, a, a 
television show where you're actually watching people like walk through and lease office space. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but the property porn on the residential side is, I mean, that's the model though, in terms of what you guys are going after, right, Ryan? Like, I mean, going back even to the earliest days of of view the space before the the name was shortened down, the whole idea was like, why, why are all these tours piling up that require a tour book, a site survey, a side-by-side comparison, et cetera, when there could literally be a CFO that sits in London who could virtually tour a space and just give a thumbs up or a thumbs down and just move that whole front end of the process into the decision-making part of it, which just gives everybody way more comfort around the, you know, the, the whole thing being a success. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, listen, what I would say is there's no worse feeling as an agency broker or a tenant rep broker when a tenant walks into a space and you know within the first 30 seconds that it's just not a fit. And I would say that nine out of 10 people, when they're in that situation, they actually don't even say, hey, I'm really sorry we wasted your time, but this is not the right option for us. They actually like, they feel bad and they go through the motions and you wait, you waste the next right. 20 minutes going through the tour. And the whole time you're like, get, get me out of here. <laughs> And, but you know, you, if you look, you know, everyone, you know, the, the agency broker's pissed, the tenant rep broker's pissed, and the, uh, the tenant just feels like bad. <laughs> so it's like, wh- why put people through that pain? Yeah, and then you got to report to your owner about that tour. Like, you're all pumped up that you got a, you got a tour. You're going to put that on the activity report <laughs> and then on right. the weekly call. You got to tell them that, yeah, actually, it wasn't qualified at all. Right. And, and, it was a complete waste of everybody's time. And that's not good for that's not good for the agency broker either, right? Because if you're generating tours that are the wrong fit, you know, from the owner's perspective, they think you're just saying that. Then all of a sudden the owner starts to think after six months, like this team can't convert. That's not good. <laughs> so So let's shift gears a little bit towards some of the quote unquote disruption type of platforms that are out there with respect to not just brokerage, but just like transactions. Um, There's been a rise in these um, uh, I'll I'll call them tech tech enabled brokerage firms over the last few years. Uh, There's been other platforms that have tried and failed to, you know, bring the entire leasing process start to finish online, whether that's like the listing all the way, like a click through lease signing. Is, Is that a viable business model? Is there a world that exists where, a, a, a tenant from 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 her couch can log on and within an hour view a bunch of spaces and sign a lease. I I, I do think that again at the small end of the market that's one hundred percent a possibility. I think the main driver though is is that is not necessarily the technology. I actually think the technology is the easy part. It's the product. And so the one thing that that the flex space market or the rise of flex and the flex providers and landlords understanding that this is going to be a key part of the model going forward has done is they have made it a lot easier for people to understand uh, a really simple leasing model, right? So if someone's signing a lease for a month, you know, six months, a year, you know, the stakes just aren't as high. And, and going back to you know, what James said earlier is, you know, you, you do have tenants that are just way more educated today. So when you, when you marry that up with a product that's really easy to understand, putting the technology there is, is just really simple. But again, I think there's a size threshold on that. You know, once you start getting above five, 10,000 feet, multi-year terms, like you're always going to go back to, to having, having somebody hold your hand and walk you through, 
making sure you know you're making the right decision. So I, I do think yeah. that that we get there, but it's going to be at the small end of the market. Yeah, I, I'd add to that a little bit in that a lot of the the VC money, like I mean, was coming out with this 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 term in the last kind of nine to twelve months, which which was with self leasing, and they wanted a lot of the startups to kind of try and really kind of infiltrate the, this particular type of the or part of the market. But I would go back to your your sentiment before about about how VTS set up, and it was because there was this very archaic kind of draconian system that just didn't make any sense when it comes to efficiencies. And there's so many of those across the board, especially like, I mean, even that simple stage of, of residential brokerage. I mean, like where I'm trying to get to this it was, is, even, is even making a, pay, a payment, like even simple things like that, making a pay, your, your, your rent payment, the, the technology and capabilities that have been out there for so long are, have, are people, people need more. They want more than have a situation that they're, they're sending a, a check to their landlord. They want a system where they can just log on they can make a, a simple direct debit payment to, to their landlord and, and have the process streamlined and over and done with. And it's all simple things like that are, are, are all starting to come together to create what will end up being, I think, real envisaged platforms across the board, but it will take a little bit of time. It's not gonna happen today or tomorrow. And whether or not there's one that, platform that can come across the entire spectrum of the entire transaction, I'm, I'm not entirely sure just because of, of regulations that exist across different cities and different states across the US. But there's definitely, there's definitely a huge market to make everything a little bit more efficient because this, this it is, is and you know, I, I, know, I know it's an old statement, but it's, it's time that uh, people um, had, had a, I don't know how to put this pro properly. I don't, I'm, in my head, I keep saying disruption and I don't want to use it because you guys will give out to me. But you know, it is time that, it is, it, it is time for, for, a, for a better standard of service to, uh, to, to tenants as well. Well, well, I mean, yeah, you just hit the nail right in the head. And I wanted to go back to the concept of the tech-enabled tech broker. The tech-enabled broker will 100% prevail. Like 10 years from now, like the, the, the CBs and the JLLs of the world, like the broker will prevail, but it will be under the tech-enabled model. And, and, and if I'm sitting in a big brokerage firm right now, you know, listen, the reality of it is, is it's, it's hard to, to disrupt such large companies with so many talented people. But at the end of the day, if the right uh, tech-enabled broker, brokerage company gets started and they start pulling talent away from the big firms, that, and, and it's marrying the, the talent with the tech that is going to wind up disrupting you know, the, the big three firms out there right now if they can't do it themselves. And the problem that we all know is very, very real there is you've got publicly traded companies um, with very, very, very like legacy old school cultures, even the most modern of them. Um, and those things are really hard to change. Right? When, you, when you have to report to Wall Street you know, every single quarter and you have to uh, deal with a lot of like deep rooted cultural issues, those are very, very hard things to change. So I do think that if a well-funded company comes along and understands that you're gonna need some of the most talented people in the industry to be disruptive and to join your team. And it's gonna cost a lot of money to do that. I, I think somebody at some point will get that, will get that mixed right. And um, I bet big that the, they'd pick up, you know, a lot of market share and, and it could be very disruptive over the next I, years. Yeah, I, I agree completely with you. What we need is SoftBank to come in and just make it happen. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but, but, but Ryan, don't, don't those huge companies also have massive technology budgets that are meant to build stuff that allows their brokers to be tech enabled? Yeah, the problem is, is that they're just not technology companies. And, you know, 
my my story around JLL was, you know, I think one of the, the straws that broke the camel's back and, and to, to really force me to, to realize how big the opportunity was, was um, I spent six months working on a new CRM program uh, for the tenant rep brokerage team. And, you know, there was consultants that come and take requirements and try to understand your problems. And, you know, a year later, they come back and show you the system and you're like, well, what happened to everything we talked about, right? A year later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a year, a year later. And, and the reality of it is, is, is to build a product for a persona like that where it's so nuanced. I mean, you need to have unbelievable product people. You need to be, you know, iterating in an, an insanely uh, agile way, you know, having people sitting down. You know, really, like, like that's the way we build product now. And, and you know, uh, Matt, I know you guys take the same approach towards building your product. It's, it's sitting down with the end user every single day, multiple times a day, and showing them things as things evolve and working on the, on the mocks, you know, a year in advance um, and, and investing in sort of both ends of the spectrum, like vigorously. And so brokerage firms, they continue to hire people that come from, they've had some success in other industries and, but they still make the same problem that the, the people they're putting in tech seats don't understand the broker. The budgets aren't there to, to innovate the right way. And, um, you know, the reality of it is, is a technical enabled brokerage firm is going to be one that certainly builds some technology, but that integrates better with the existing technologies than in any of these other companies. Um, and that, that's a really, really key thing because technology integration is going to be the most important thing for the tech enabled yeah. brokerage. And, that, and that's where the, again, the big brokerage firms, they just sort of fall flat. Well, it's going to be super important to the tenant too. Cause like from our perspective, um, going back to, you know, James kind of describing what that like holy grail of this like perfect platform that does everything. Like it's, that's it, such a um, difficult problem to solve. Cause you, you just have too many stakeholders to please. You have too many processes to improve that like any one company, whether it's VTS or Occupy or whoever, it's, it, it would be too, too big of an undertaking to think that you're going to go out and solve every problem for everybody. So the integration thing is is your, your spot on there, I believe, because you know when we talk to tenants who are trying to figure out how to better manage their real estate portfolios and route to better leasing decisions, they're already using like 10 different systems, right? They have a a, a general ledger accounting system. They have a, a, a lease accounting system. They might have a lease administration system. They certainly don't have a transaction management system, but they have a broker who, you know, does ad hoc kind of status quo type of workflows. And then they have rental payment systems. They have facilities management systems. So you're, you're seeing this like canvas of things happening where, you know, there's no, there's, there's no actual benefit to trying to build all of that into one thing. So the integration piece to me is where if you could build a best in class um, system that solves very basic problems and absorbs, call it 30% of that, that um, constituents workflow, then, then you start to actually add true value to the company. And then when you connect that to other systems, then it becomes something that's like impossible to rip out. And, and that, that's where like the tech enabled side comes in because the broker now has this tool that they that is plugged into all this other stuff that is making the company the end user really the ultimate beneficiary 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things too is, and, and certainly Matt, this is the problem that you guys are solving, but you know, think about it from the occupier's perspective. You have some of the most advanced technology companies in the world that are working with brokerage firms that that are that are that are collaborating through through Excel, right? I mean, that's insane, right? As a director of real estate for a Google or an Apple, why aren't you logging into a modern system where you have a real time pulse of the I don't even know ten thousand deals you might have going on across across the world? I mean, it's it's insane. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more there. Obviously, um, all right, James. Like wrapping up here, um, you you got your pulse on the entire tech world here, revolving around commercial real estate. Give us give us kind of your your insiders take. If, if we had to place bets on what type of technology is going to be the next big thing, what is it? Uh, short term, I have to say, and like it's probably not a completely broker orientated but digital twin is going to make a huge difference across the board for in a multitude of stakeholders over the next few years we've already seen you know this this technology kind of kick off it wasn't even been talked about two three years ago but there's already products on the ground when you when you get to the trade shows and you, you see them um out there uh, this, this just kind of for people who don't know it this was a technology that was developed by nasa back in the in the 60s and 70s for the for the apollo moon landing because they needed a digital representation of the spaceships when they were obviously in orbit because they to, to be able to run scenarios off so that's the kind of the same idea is to have a digital representation of the building or 3d 3d model of the building and then better understand exactly what's taking place in that building at any particular moment in time and then from that more importantly been able to run scenarios and forecasting from that so you don't actually have to go through it and you can actually see how to create the most efficient building process going forward yeah, I could I could imagine that benefits pretty much every stakeholder that touches that asset too. Yeah, service providers, owners, developers. Exactly. Digital twin. There you go. Um, Ryan, wrapping up on your end, uh, give us the next two to three year vision of VTS. Yeah, so I would say that the the next two to three years um, will unequivocally be the most exciting for us. I, I think in the entire industry, mainly because you know we're we're 100% focused now on executing on the vision, which is how do we bring the market and markets to life? And so what I mean by that is, you know, we talked a little bit about our, our marketplace and, and really having this rich, rich, deep library of content and, and information for the, the tenant rep broker and for the occupier. Um, but we're also uh, in, in a few weeks going to be launching our real-time market data product, which is going to revolutionize the commercial real estate market. So this is essentially will will become the Bloomberg of commercial real estate. And so, while the asset class is it, it, today is still probably the last in the world that's making these massive bets based on lagging indicators, um, we're going to create this very forward shift to a future a, a, a current set of what's happening in markets, a, a data set that will give a, a lot of clarity around what's happening today and what we believe will happen in the future. And so, you know, from how many tenants are in their market to what's going to drive future leasing and what does your future competitive set look like 10 years from now? Um, and so that that's all coming to life over the, uh, you know, it's, it's live now and, and we're launching it in the next couple of weeks. So if we fast forward two years from now, those two things coming together, when you think about your ability to navigate and understand a market like New York, Boston, London, you know, D.C., et cetera, I mean, it is going to be 
a radical difference for every player in the space. So it should be is an that, exciting couple of years. It's, it's yeah, I know. I mean, that's, that's the vision that's been in, in the back, the back of the, the deck for several years now. And it's awesome that it's come to light is, is, is the vision to be VTS be the sole source of that data or are you guys looking at bringing in other, other sources of information? Yeah, I think now's the time where, you know, well, historically everything has been, has been, um, Every, all the data within VTS has been data that's been derived from the VTS ecosystem. I do think with our new market research product, there's going to be an awesome opportunity to pull in data sources from, from other platforms. Um, and so I think that concept, is, we're still pretty early there, but I now see a, a whole new world where there could be, you know, we want obviously want to be the command center for, or continue to be the command center for all of our, our major customers. Um, but I think in order to do that, given where just information is going in the space, you know, we'll have to pull in, um, or we have a great opportunity to pull in information from, from other platforms that, uh, really helps to enrich that experience. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been awesome. Appreciate you joining, um, sharing your thoughts. Uh, James, keep up the good work. Keep up, keep, keep everybody apprised of, of what that future looks like. And Ryan, keep crushing it there at VTS, uh, obviously rooting for you guys. And uh, we'll have to revisit this topic and, and say like one more year and, and see, see if our, uh, our prognostications uh, have, have come to life here. Awesome, man. Well, looking forward to it. Guys, this was great. Um, I had such a fun morning and um, Matt, thank you so much for having me and, and Ryan best of luck with the, with the new product. Uh, I, like, like this sounds absolutely incredible and I have no doubts you guys are going to blow it out of the water. Great job. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Talk Cheers. to you later. Cheers, boys. Well, there you have it. The future of commercial real estate brokerage as predicted by Brian Massiello and James Scott. Uh, I really love this conversation. I think that there's just so much information in there to absorb and some insights into, you know, what brokers can do today to be competitive, how they can adopt technology, the threats and the opportunities that face them in the future uh, from both an academic and a startup operator perspective. So really good stuff there. Uh, keep listening. Check us out on Spotify or wherever you hear your podcasts. Subscribe and we'll talk to you on the next one.